dude. I think the internet has changed so much with gaming because it's easy to look up a guide, you know, or it's easy to figure out how to get the best weapon. And I think so much of our experience growing up was, you know, luckily, hopefully your friend wrote down in the notes part of the, you know, handbook that you got, you know, about secret shit. Like my friend did with Shining Force too. He Mm -hmm. goes, here, don't lose the book. I'll kill you. And I looked at it and it's like, we're all the super secret shit that can give you a second, like transformation on a character, you know, that would make them insanely more powerful than the, you know, normal upgrade. So yeah, it's just stuff like that. There were a lot of games I wouldn't have been able to like make it through if I hadn't read like one of those like video game magazines that came out like at the time that like actually like listed a few tips on like how to beat certain bosses or areas to look. There was this maze in the Adams Family game that I could never get past. <laughs> like I didn't know anybody else who owned the games. So that was it. Like I just stopped playing. <laughs> Yeah, but now you could just be like, okay, fuck it. I was going to play this without a guy, but... Well, Jack, did you ever... Yeah. Did you ever hear about that Castlevania game where, like, the only way to beat it is you have to, like, go all the way up to that wall and, like, duck for, like, 30 seconds or something? Like, I I have heard of that, but um, I didn't know about that till later on in life. That's what I mean, though. Like, imagine some poor kid who, like, plays through all the way that end of that game and just has no way to look that up. They're just stuck, like, freaking out. Can't figure out where to go. I think about that play. What if, like, somebody just started playing these video games that had no communication with the outside world? Like, today's (laughs) game. Because, like, 90% of them, I bet, would just be, like, unbeatable. Guys, gals, non-binary pals, this is Couch Co-op. Today, Matt, Jack, and I are going to be discussing Elden Ring. Uh, I believe this is going to be the conclusion uh, podcast for it, you know, since we have all beaten the video game. Uh, This game came out February 25th, 2022, and we all, I believe, started it that night or the next day, and we're able to get a full Couch Co-op three-player uh, mode in there for a little bit before invaders could really invade you. So it was quite a fun experience, you know, coming up across some stuff, but um, we'll talk about that, you know, later on. Um, this game has been a huge hit and, you know, it's been a big influence, especially through early 2022. It's already got some nods for game of the year. Um, it's from a company that has produced nothing but highly esteemed games that for the most part, aren't too glitchy and they come out fairly on time and fairly complete. So um, I guess I kind of want to say that my first impression of this game was how uh, how similar it was to other games, but yet had so much of its own feel and the fact that it was this huge open world. And as soon as you step out to the first Grace, and that's its first name or real name for the Grace Point, um, you get this widespread of uh, Limgrave. And it's absolutely astounding. And we've already talked about this, but um, as the game progressed, that wonder never stopped happening for me. And I guess I kind of want to ask, Jack, was that something that you experienced as, you know, you played through the game? Yeah. uh, 
Well, first of all, just you knew what to expect from what you'd heard. Like everybody's saying like, this is going to be open world, open world, but it still was like this really cool moment when you step out into the light out of that dark, dank pit that they start you off in and everything's just wide open and gorgeous. Like these pastel colors, like something out of a, you know, indie game, but, but just done in just this beautiful light. And um, that, feeling pretty much persisted through a hundred plus hour experience for me, which is incredible. There was a couple times where I, um, I, I, well, we talked about this, Dave, like when I, when we, when I first got into like the second area and I was like, oh, this just looks more of the same, but so quickly found out I was, I was completely wrong. There was all sorts of just everywhere you go, there's something hidden, something new, something really just interesting. And um, that, that pretty much didn't stop until the very end. Yeah. I, I would have to say that I would be shocked if this isn't the game of the year when it's all said and done. I think, uh, personally, I put a lot of stock in just kind of the legacy of game leaves behind. And in this case, I think the coolest thing about Elden Ring is just every single person you speak to who's played this game has a completely different experience. And I think that that is huge and awesome for such a you know huge title for everybody to be able to approach it in a different means. And you know you still fight the same bosses, you still go through the same areas, but it's just so cool that everybody can do it in a different manner, find different things. I mean, I put in 140 hours. I have the platinum trophy on it, and I'm still finding out about bosses and weapons and things that I completely missed, and that blows my mind. So. Um, yeah, it was a fantastic title. I'm really happy that we all got a chance to play it. And like I said, you know, God of War 2, as excited as I am for that, uh, I really will be shocked if this doesn't take the cake at the end of the year. Um, I agree, and I, I feel like that that will be a good cap for our conversation tonight. My, my mind was blown after having defeated... Uh, was it Godfrey, I believe? Yeah, who's the last boss uh, of Stormvale Castle? It's not Godfrey, is it? It's Godric. My apologies. Um, and There's you get out to light. Huh? There's only a hundred of them. Get it, get it, get it straight. Another <laughs> <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah, that's what they hired Martin to do is create so much ambiguity between the names that you have to consistently search. Uh, you know, Wikipedia or enter it into Google. It's a marvelous plan to get it on the first search. Anyways, uh, I would digress. I got to Lyernia and that was the area that Jack was talking about where initially he kind of felt a little underwhelmed, you know, by the prospect of another land that had a bunch of trees, some rolling hills, some grass, some graves. But um, that area ended up becoming where I think I most latched onto the game. Uh, I did it, a lot of it, all around um, and outside of Rhea Lucaria Academy of Magic was solo. Uh, Jack helped me through all of the Magic Academy, but that whole area for me was just so full of crazy moments, uh, even more so than Limgrave. Uh, the lobsters in the middle of the lake, the sniper lobsters, you know, where you think, you got enough distance and all of a sudden this huge spitball comes up behind you, you know, from like half a mile out. You got this thing in the background. 
you know, just kind of snapping at you. Um, you know, seeing the Magic Academy in the background, as soon as you like pop out, it's automatically in your line of sight. And it's just this mysterious looking huge castle that's like kind of on the edge of a cliff. And, you know, and you get close to it and get your curiosity. There's magic seals. Uh, if you go to the left and the right, you get different areas of land with like pretty crazy, you know, enemies and NPCs that you come across. You come across Pope Turtle in Lyurnia. You know, you come across, uh, let's see, uh, not a maiden, but she's guarding a wolf and she gets you half of the metal. I believe she is with the, the race that's being hunted down. Unfortunately, I'm not too good with uh, <laughs> specific names, but my point is uh, Lyurnia ended up becoming probably my favorite part of the whole game. And especially with uh, the Academy being the tie up. It was so much fun going through it with Jack and ultimately it was a boss fight that I loved and it was probably my favorite arena as well, you know, with uh, Renala, you know, being on that, what looked like a shallow pool of water and this half full moon just lighting up the whole sky. And it was just so simple, but yet so gorgeous and it fit the fight so well. So um, Matt, was there any area that really kind of inspired you? I know you kind of went through the game a little bit quicker on some parts. Um, you know, going on a platinum run that allows you to walk a tight wire through the game. So, I personally like the coolest parts for me were the areas that were just so jarring because they were so simultaneously so dangerous and also just like foreign. Uh, Kaylin's the first one that comes to mind where it just looked all of a sudden you just pop into this alien like at you know setting that we discussed before. But on top of that, everything there is trying to kill you the second you appear. And they're pretty tough, even like when you've leveled up and maxed out your character and whatnot. So um, it was pretty cool, like one of those where you don't really even get a chance to sit still and take it all in. And it's such a bizarre environment that when you do catch glimpses of what's going on around you, it kind of like is unsettling to boot. So um, I like that. I, I felt like every area had bits and pieces of that where... Um, there's bit, you know, clearly something that had occurred and you have no idea. And yet you're don't have the ability to piece it together because you're trying to survive. Um, another area is like when you first encounter kind of like all the sort, the vast, like, um, areas where there was clearly like a major battle or in a few cases where a major battle breaks out amongst, you know, NPCs. And again, you don't, it's not like a traditional RPG where somebody explains everything that's going on and there's all this backstory and lore. I mean, that exists if you want to read up on it, but when you're actually experiencing it in game, uh, you just stumble upon a bunch of people going to war and you're just trying to, again, your top priority is really survival, A, and B, finding your next uh, you know, site of ruin or site of grace, I should say. the um i mean yeah every every area in this game is creative and interesting even like my least favorite area the volcano still had some pretty cool stuff in it that was like oh that's neat like the way you curve up the whole mountain um but yeah i was really excited for both you guys to reach the academy and i was kind of stoked that dave like would ran through it with me because just i i felt like they almost took like 
uh, from software level from one of their more traditional games with all the intricate pathways and and connecting doors and shortcuts and they just shoved it into this small tiny little area of the of the game and it just made it all the more impressive that it was just kind of not shoehorned in there but it, it it fit you know but it was just one tiny little speck of this huge huge grand stage um but my favorite area in the game was was the underground and what was kind of interesting is you first go down there and sorry jack when i when you say underground are you talking about the two uh cities noxtra and noxtella well and that's where i was going and, and it's actually more than two i believe i think there's three or four areas down there and when you first go down there well i was very under level but i was like oh there's this elevator and you go down there and like oh let's go it still keeps going it keeps going and then you're down and everything just just killing you and and basically i just rolled my horse through there for like half an hour just trying to escape like this is the early stages of the level and which brings me to another cool thing about the game like i went for the platinum run too but i didn't have to like overuse this guide like dave you kind of was was say telling matt um everything was kind of streamlined and, and it really wasn't like my whole experience with the game even with this trophy in mind was I just wanted to explore and experience everything. And that's what I got to do. I didn't have to worry about like some missable trophy. I didn't have to, you know, like resort to looking at a guide every three or four hours of gameplay. I mean, there was a, probably a stretch of like 40 hours where I didn't go online to look at anything. But the underground area, at first it just seems like it's this foreign area that completely separate from everything else. Um, but I ran into my favorite boss in the game there, Mog the Old Blood. And then I was in a completely different area of the underground and I went out on this, on this ledge overlooking like this huge um, space, like their stars are out. It's this beautiful ambiance, this midnight blue, um, with just creepy, beautiful designed um, lesser enemies. And I looked out and I saw way off in the distance the temple of Mog the Old Blood, which I had just assumed was just a completely different area of of the underworld, just like, you know, in its own separate region. But no, it was all connected, just like the overworld was all connected. Like you can look out in the overworld and you see that magic academy you were talking about, Dave, way off in the distance. Well, the underworld, it was all connected too. And I just, I was blown away by that and the fact that it was just absolutely stunningly gorgeous down there so yeah um yeah i mean this game has got so many areas that you know are gorgeous i gotta say i really liked mount gilead a lot actually jack i had a lot of fun going through there i think i did a lot of that solo somehow from you um but it, yeah it was it was fun going up and down that mountain and <laughs> facing off against some of the enemies uh, the full-grown Falling Beast Star was definitely an interesting fight. Um, you know, you pop up with this huge giant air shaft, and then, you know, next thing you know, you got this giant bull-slash-centipede thing looking at you, getting ready to jump you off the cliff. And that's the first thing that happened to me. Um, so what – there were some areas of the game that I despised, Um and the one I despised the most and was critical for me getting the 
ending that I got based on the gameplay that I was going through, which is an intelligence build, was the uh, Lake of Blood, which was <laughs> right before uh, Estelle Natural Born of the Void boss Lake fight. Lake of Blood or? Is it the Lake of Blood? Lake of Rot. Lake of Rot, yeah, my apologies. Yeah, that, that area, um, I, I just looked at it and I was like, how... <laughs> <laughs> I had to kind of I couldn't respect fully fully but I did have to respect enough to get my faith high enough to proc a spell that would strip the the rot curse off but it took so much time that by the time I did it I just kind of barely reset myself so um it was a it was an interesting walkthrough and then you also have the toads that are just throwing up death blight all over the place which is the last thing you want to get a full curse on it just ends you right there and then so did you find any areas of the game where you're just like you know f this i'm out it's not worth it anymore another one for me is just any of the underground uh tunnels where you got the sentries rolling up and down i just after about 12 or 13 attempts on the first one under like the first point of the game i just gave up i was just like i'll come back to this later whatever so there was there was a novelty that i enjoyed about both the lake of rot and those um rolling pins and i had a lot of fun with both of those but yeah i i have no desire to ever revisit either one and i was never able to beat the boss in the lake of rot just because i i couldn't I was too lazy to like stock up on the the cure for Scarlet Rot. And I at that point I wasn't respecting. So I wasn't trying to fight it that way. And I just never I could I, I probably spent like two hours trying to beat that that dude. And every time Scarlet Rot just got me. Um but one of my favorite bosses was down at the bottom of the rolling pins. The I, and it's one of the bosses that's repeated like throughout the game, like one of those like centipede dragon thingies um but ulcerated uh or tree yeah, or something like that tree, yeah but you face that one like in this tiny little room and i just thought it was a spectacle of a fight i mean so much of the game is a spectacle but that that really kind of gave me that feeling of of from software boss where the hitbox felt relatively fair and just this the scope of this beast taking up this entire room as you try desperately to combat it was was a really cool experience matt did you have any areas that you were just said nope <laughs> it definitely early on it was going into that that cavern with that stupid thing that would just roll up and if it barely clipped you it killed you instantly and uh, yeah, I hated that area so, so very much to the point where I was so glad finding the guide of how you could kill that thing, actually, and gladly went through and did it just purely to to know I killed it. There were a couple of enemies like that for me. Uh, well, there's, but, there's three rolling pin areas. I don't know if you guys knew that three separate dungeons with the rolling pins. I only um, did two of them, but I only did the one. Uh, I was good after that. Um, I, I just felt there are certain moments and I'm sure we'll cover it um, as we continue to discuss, but there are certain elements of that game that did frustrate the hell out of me. And sometimes it was the hit detection <laughs> in particular with those kind of enemies where it's instant death. And um, 
nothing's more frustrating when you feel like you're clearly out of the area of, of impact and all of a sudden you're taken out and have to go back and gather your shit again. Um, that was the biggest one. Lake of Rod, I definitely agree, was frustrating. I was fortunate that my character, um, the build I was using, um, was a little more sturdy for taking on the Scarlet Rot. So that actually didn't uh, impact me too much. I was able to get through it all. But um, it definitely was like one of those areas where it kind of grinded to a halt and frustrated me. Um, there's a few areas where you have to use the secret walls. Those always kind of irritate me um, just because I'm, again, I, I'm like you, both of you gentlemen, I don't like to use guides. So, and unfortunately the only real indicator that I could find for a lot of those walls was either reading whatever hints are dropped or just, you know, playing with somebody else who actually knows which walls to go up and hit. So um, that kind of frustrated me in particular. There's one that I know you, like the whole maze is basically finding all the walls that are secret to, progress well, once again that those areas were pretty few and far between there was only a couple areas with hidden walls i found in the entire game and and it once it just felt like more of the novelty like yeah this would be really lame if i had to deal with this over and over again but it's kind of cool because they just like throw it in there once as like an easter egg that different you know i remember going back to the old days of running around and um because the original wolfenstein um and and you know in between killing nazis finding those like hidden hidden doors that you got all the all, all the awesome gear in oh it, there's definitely some component they did a great job of actually making it like you said jack a novelty because but going through it was definitely frustrating that that was really what my biggest thing but they they did they limited it to the point where it didn't really once you were through with it you were through with it for a while unless you sought out another area um, it's interesting that you brought up some points of difficulty. One of the things I loved about this game was getting through something challenging by yourself. And I was able to fight off a few of the ulcerated earth trees by myself. Uh, I've gotten help from Jack on a few of them, but for the most part, I was able to handle this solo. Um, but you know, there's just some enemies that you know, or scenarios that always made my intelligence build struggle a bit. And, you know, part of it is my lack of imagination as far as what to equip and how to approach certain problems. But the other issue was that um, there's just some hard counters to magic, you know, and it, it's not as memefied, I think, as it was made out to be. It was... Um, some parts of it were super easy, but some parts of it, like I said, were just very difficult. I'm such a mid-range to long-range beast that when it comes to close range, my build had a kind of built-in nerf, and it was that it takes time to get spells out, so you have to account for cast speed. So I don't know. I don't want to say that there is an easy mode, but you know, at some points of the game, it wasn't too difficult, but near the end, it got fairly difficult for me to get through. So um, was there, you know, any sort of, what was your input, I guess, is the difficulty of this game? I mean, I'd say I played it on easy mode. My build was, uh, once I got that blood flowing katana or whatever the hell it's called, the rivers of blood attack, 
um, most enemies are very highly susceptible to it. So um, I have no shame with playing that style because per, again, I, I've been very vocal about the fact that Sekiro is my favorite uh, from soft game. And that attack is the closest I can get to kind of mirroring just like kind of a fast action thing with a sword. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of, you know, hardcore enthusiasts out there that can find other builds that are even better, but I like fast stamina, you know, just attacks like that. So, um, but yeah, it, it definitely made a lot of bosses pretty easy um, with some of those. Uh, Jack, how about you? You got through this game faster than any of us. So what was your gauge on the difficulty? I found the difficulty frustrating in that you could build basically a summons and a ultra powerful weapon like rivers of blood which i which i finished the last four or five bosses with and basically have no trouble whereas you want to use more of like a just a more of a single player approach you know no summons um more of like a, a counter or like you know uh, dodge uh, relying on more like defensive and, and learning maneuvers. And I, I mean, the, the bottom line is the scope of this game was my favorite thing about it, but it was also what led to its greatest weakness. And that is that it just, it didn't have that Sekiro feel where you really have that just crystal clean combat. And I don't know. I, I, I think if you play it a certain way, I think this game is actually pretty easy. Um, I think that you can make it really hard, but if you make it really hard, it doesn't really feel fair. And that's the problem I have with it. I, I, I thought maybe that I was, you know, taking the game not very seriously going with an intelligence build and kind of approaching it the way I was, but um, when I got stuck and then I had to research how to get past those points, I realized how many other players just had so much more imagination with how to use certain spells or how to equip their, you know, intelligence builds or even how to balance it out. So um, for me, I think at the end of it, for the most part, I want to go through the game without having to summon outside of help other than YouTube. You know, it was always fine if we were all gaming and that at some point we wanted to get through the game. That for me was always hands down, straight up on the table. But as what I didn't want to do was summon in outside help. And I finally took Matt's advice trying to get through uh, Lindell Capital. It was, it was just those perfumers, man. They just took off so much of my magic <laughs> like bar. That by the time I needed to get to a boss, I didn't have enough magic to, you know, adequate, adequately fight the boss. So uh, I summoned a few people in. One of them was General Rodan, and I had a really uh, fun experience with him, considering it was my favorite boss fight in the whole game and probably one of my top faves of all time. So going, <laughs> going through and defeating Invader, you know, with his crossbow and my crossbow loaded up, waiting for him to come around a blind corner to see us two like locked and loaded with a mid-range attack was uh, pretty entertaining for me. So um, I got to apologize. You guys hear, hear a helicopter? A little. It's okay. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, sorry. If I sound distracted, there's kid. a helicopter buzzing around my apartment with speakers on, and I don't know what it's saying. So, but um, keep you recording. Know, we, might, we might hear something good here in a couple of minutes. <laughs> Dave, Dave's gonna have to. We're gonna have to watch Dave fend off some some guy trying to find refuge from the police helicopter. I'm gonna be the NPC in like someone's GTA game. I know it. Um, but is what ended up happening is I got through Lindell pretty quick because I did summon in some help. And, you know, for the most part, people are going to put down their help sign when they have pretty solid build and they are capable of getting through this stuff. So uh, most of Lindell um, and then for the most part, Jack helped me up all the way up to the last boss. We spent an hour on uh, what's his name? Nefale Lu. Is that what it is? Zangief, the Zangief clone. Yeah. We'll just go with that. Um, we got him, right? Yeah, we got him. That was cool. Yeah, it took us about 56 minutes to do it, but yeah, we got him. Um, it was one of the most entertaining boss fights I've had. You know, it was so much fun where we're like, we got this, you know, we know what to do. And then he would do his like triple stomp, and but maybe he would throw a curveball on the second one, kind of catch us rolling, or, you know, we'd get to the cutscene and you know, I didn't roll out of it quick enough a few times. I mean, that, that fight was actually more difficult playing it with you because it was really tough to measure his stomp when it wasn't directed at you. So it was almost like when I was engaged with him, I felt pretty comfortable, like just rolling through his, his stomp. But if you're like over on the other side of the thing, either in your case, casting spells or in my case, running for my life, trying to heal before re-engaging, you would get we got killed so many times just being like away from the fight by that freaking AOE damage. And uh, but I, 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 you know, I fought that guy uh solo and I fought him with you, and it's just an awesome fight when he transforms into uh, you know, pseudo Zangief. It's just such like a shocker because there's no other character in the whole game that does that. That's just all of a sudden this like straight up brawler. Like you just imagine that lightning, uh, red haired lightning Zangief chest hair on him. That, <laughs> and another point is is like he doesn't use a weapon and almost everything else has weapons or some sort of magic ability this guy is just buff and very very good with you know his grappling moves so i don't i don't know what to say it's pretty impressive i was gonna uh, say I, I remember reading somebody online and you know i take it with a grain of salt but they were saying like the coolest revelation with that character was when you realize that the was it the lion that's behind him the whole first phase of the fight is actually there to hold him back. And when he actually t takes its head off is when he frees himself, because like that's his default is just to like want to charge into battle and take on everybody like hand to hand combat. So it was a pretty cool character element when you realize that, because uh, yeah, I'm unfortunately my experience with him, like uh, actually with a lot of the, uh, you know, the tougher bosses, it seems from what I read online, uh, most of them I actually didn't have much issue with. Like, actually, it's it's kind of comical, the ones that really gave me trouble in comparison to what I hear about. Because I beat Melania on my second try. Um, and I beat Lou on my second try. Um, but then when it came to something like Elden Beast, it actually gave me a lot of trouble. So I th think, again, it's, it's probably just the build I was using. But yeah, I... I really breeze through certain ones playing solo surprisingly i think it well and correct me if i'm wrong about your experience but 
I agree. I thought Elden Beast was was way more difficult, but I think that's because this uh, summons was not as effective against Elden Beast, whereas Milena and a couple of the other ones that were really difficult. If you had like an ultra powerful, you know, level ten um, summons, they do have you know half the work for you. They stun lock them, but once you get to Elden Beast, you're just kind of like, well, shit, here we go. Like I, I kind of got to beat this guy mostly by myself. Uh, like you said, it's it's those area of attack uh, or area effect um, attacks that make it difficult, honestly. And we've talked at length in previous recordings about how some of them have to be that way because this game is designed to either be played with either Spirit Ash or, um, you know, an online co-player. But um, those are the ones that frustrate me. And there's only a handful of boss I actually enjoyed as a result because there were only a handful that I actually felt like I could engage with and actually have like a true fight with because I felt like so many of them were kind of designed to spread out their attacks or were just so janky with their motions to kind of throw off your timing, which has always been a thing of with the Souls games. But uh, for me personally, throws me off so damn much because I get so twitchy when when in these big boss fights. So that that's my experience with them. Dave, how do you feel with them being a monster hunter bet? Um, the time, the timings were very, very different between the two. Um, it was, how do I read what's coming next? You know, and you know, how many times have I seen it? Jack had a very good point about you know, uh, Zangief was that when he was solely focused on you, it's so, so much more easier to dodge through his stuff. Um, but I feel like he played more like a monster hunter kind of boss than say Margit did, you know, or, you know, say that even something as Estelle, you know, fought. Estelle is kind of an easy boss fight, you know, if you kind of figure out what's going on. Um, it's just, that it, it's so different it's like out there so you're not entirely sure what's going to happen next and that, you know like the big worm in the sky like yeah the crazy star like stand of peeping with that the was big so jaws it, I, I, yeah i didn't mind dying to that guy at all i was like oh i gotta do this again and just look at this dude i'm cool with that <laughs> yeah such a crazy monster but um that that's how I felt about it. You know, I felt comfortable with the game because of the eye mechanics and the dodge. So um, one, one point about this game that was thrown on the negative side of it was user experience. Do you feel like without a guide, would you have gotten the ending that you were targeting? Uh, because there's no mark, there's like no point markers for you to put something down or some sort of objective tag or even a list of what to do next. I had to use a guide to get through Rani's quest. Um, you know, and I, I think there's just some parts of it that I wouldn't have figured out had I not had the help of a guide. I, but, think, this, I think that's very typical for gaming now is that the expectation is you are going to go online. I don't like it. But what I will say is I think you could have had a complete experience just playing this game blind and you wouldn't have gotten to do all the things that we got to do. But I do think you could have a full story. Uh, well, I mean, to me, I still don't have a full story. I still don't know what the hell happened in that game. <laughs> and I, and I did three different endings. 
but I don't know. I, I don't have any problem with it as opposed to like the industry at whole, just because I feel like this is where we are at in gaming now. Yeah. I mean, what I'll say is that compared to a previous from soft games, like with those, I felt like there were so many moments where I got locked out of experiences that would piss me off in hindsight be it I would go to an area too soon or I'd miss out on a certain weapon that's only available if you go here to a certain area within a certain amount of time or once you kill a certain boss, something becomes unavailable. Because they cleaned up all of that, my experience with it, for the most part, was very fulfilled. Um, I, I agree with Jack. I never have a clue what's happening at the end of these games. And quite frankly, I just feel happy to have completed them because they are kind of a nice you know, notch on your belt when in terms of feeling accomplished. So um, I didn't really need to know how to get these crazy endings minus to get the platinum. So I didn't care having to look at that part up because by that point I had already felt pretty fulfilled with my gaming experiences through and through. Well, can I ask you gentlemen, was there an ending that even looked remotely interesting to you <laughs> on that note? No, <laughs> every single ending, I can't tell if I'm the good guy or the bad guy. Every single ending, I can't tell if I ruined the world or if I saved it. I mean, it, it's so neutral and, and you know, in a way, that's the glorious part of these games. But no, I, the ending meant nothing to me. Um, it was more, honestly, it was just like, cool, the credits are running. I did it. I can tell everyone I beat another FromSoft game. I liked the fact that the different endings offered different bosses in certain cases i mean i know it all ended at the same place but like the frenzied flame ending you went through like a whole another pretty in-depth area uh which was a lot of fun but i just i didn't digest the lord of this game at all it, it really didn't mean anything to me i mean if you if you like recounted some of the stuff that happened at the end i'd probably be like oh yeah that was a cool cutscene. i enjoyed the visuals of that because that is, I did get enjoyment from the story just based around how creative and um, intriguing these cutscenes were. I thought they were fantastic cutscenes, just packed full of, you know, um, just creepy Lovecraftian monsters. And, and, but, but I don't know what the hell the story is. So having gone with an intelligence build, my approach to this game was I wanted to be this wizard who would rise to the top and, you know, I would do whatever it took to get there and learn whatever I needed. So um, I, I what, came across. What does, what does rise to the top mean to you? To the Elden Lord, baby. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I dived into the... Um, lore of this game quite a bit i was pretty uh enchanted by it especially after having gone through lyernia that's when i was like you know i really need to look up you know what i've been playing through and what these characters mean and if there's any history to them and there's a pretty big community of people that really have dug through all the different pieces and notes and you know all the different descriptions on items that really fleshed out a lot of this history me being a wizard eventually i knew that you know, there's this, what they call the Age of Stars ending that involved Rani and brought you to certain parts of the game. And, um, 
eventually is what it is, is you need to defeat Radon that triggers a pretty cool cutscene where you see all these shooting stars. We've talked about this before, and it opens up an underground area called Noxtra. And, you know, that's uh, a pretty big area, I think, as far as the, the game, you know, you first come into it and it's just this amazing city full of all this wondrous danger, you know, and you've got some pretty crazy, you know, boss fights down there. I love it. You got the very, was it the Valiant Gargoyles? Uh, no. That, those guys still give me PTSD. I'm sorry. Was, yeah. I, I had to someone. That was one of the first boss fights in the game I had to leave and, and go back to. I mean, there was a few others, but that was, yeah, I was, I was feeling like I was going right through it. And then I got, I got totally stuck by those guys. I had to come back like 10 hours later. But um, Rennie's quest line and lore, you know, runs through an extensive part of this game. It's, it's a pretty big tree trunk. And just to sum it all down, Rennie was a, uh, a person who was lined up to be a lord and didn't want to be under the rule of the current gods, which was the golden order. So she killed her physical body and then put her like spirit and her powers into a doll with the whole mindset that she wanted to topple down the current uh, order. So, you know, she does her things. She has some allies. You probably meet, uh, you know, who Blythe the wolf is, you know, he's, He's a guy that, you know, comes down and you end up doing some pretty cool quests with him. And then there's Ishii, the, the war master, I believe, you know, right before you get to Carrion Manor, he's a guy that's sitting on the anvil. So she has some allies and basically is what ends up happening is you help her get a weapon that allows her to kill a two fingers and the two fingers act as kind of like the ambassadors for this outside, you know, like cosmic God you know, that's taken over this area. And the thing is, there's other competing outside gods too. So it's what she wants to do. And eventually what happens is after, you know, you help her slay the two fingers and then you kind of basically get engaged to her and allow her a physical body, you defeat the final boss. And then she instates a order of basically pushing all the gods back out into the cosmos and away from the lands in between to pretty much give the people a situation where they're not as dominated by all these crazy gods, you know, and in the game, you know, there's the frenzied flame, that's a God. And that's a specific ending that both of you two saw. Um, you got the God of blood, you know, and that's a God that's trying to, you know, uh, usurp the basic order of what's going on. So the lore is pretty crazy and it gets in much more depth and I don't want to bore anyone with it. But for me, the Age of Stars ending was pretty interesting because, you know, Matt brought up a good point. I don't know if I'm the good guy or the bad guy. And in the English version, after the ending, I was kind of like, wow, it's <laughs> all I did was, you know, get rid of one asshole to bring another asshole in that, you know, just was prettier, I guess. But from what I understand, there was mistranslation between the Japanese and the English, you know, dialogue. And some people say it was a pretty honest mistake because the context was like taken out of frame, reference of frame. So it changed some things. Basically, you know, what seemed like in the English version was Randy wanted to bring the stars and moons down upon this land and bring it into like another age of oppression, you know, and then you're her like consort eternal. The Japanese version, though, is, you know, she wants to, 
she wants to push all that stuff back out, you know, and she wants it to be like a thousand years where these people can be themselves again. So I thought it was a super cool ending. I was flabbergasted by how gorgeous it was, you know, as Randy comes up, you know, when you summon her, this moon shows up, but, you know, in the phrase of it, there's solar systems. And then like, you see that pulling down almost like watercolors, you know, where it's got like bleeding into a pool of water, you know, and Randy's just talking about how, she, you know, she's going to usurp, you know, the basic, you know, order and then change things, you know, for the better. So I don't know. I, I felt like that that was a really cool thing to go through because this game doesn't hold your hand. So it's like start here for Randy's quest, start here for the frenzied flame quest, go see this person here. You know, you, you either had to research it or if you didn't research it, you just paid attention, you know, and went through all the different motions. So it was very uh, fulfilling, you know, for that to go through. Immediately after I got that ending, I went and checked all the other endings out just because I was curious. And honestly, the Frenzy Flame one looks pretty interesting. I wouldn't mind getting that one. Um, but as far as the other ones, I ain't seen too much. I know you end up sitting on the throne and you become the Lord. So uh, the I, I just, I guess um, you guys obviously didn't pay attention more, but for me, I think they did a great job. And from what I understand, they had a lot of different influences from a lot of different mythologies and, you know, kind of brought in some cool sources. So this game ended up being a pretty fun adventure for me, especially saying, hey, I want to go this magic character build. And, you know, you get you meet these other kind of crazy, weird characters like this Randy the Witch and Renala and Redan is a critical fight. You know, you got Estelle of the natural born void, you're talking about how beautiful that fight is. So I think going through these quests, you know, and I missed the blood quest, you know, to get to Megala or, you know, Moog is guarding Megala, you know, or even getting to the frenzied flame and seeing that there's three fingers, you know, and seeing that ending was pretty crazy. So I don't know, I felt like the lore was deep and very appreciative and Honestly, for the most part, I would say it's pretty immense and on par with some of the other RPG games that you see. It's just, it's not in bright neon colors that gets people to, to look at it. You have to dig through it and then you have to go pay attention and maybe do some research to really appreciate, you know, what your character is helping other characters go through, so. I really appreciate that, that you do kind of have the option to just click through what little dialogue there is because there's not much and take take those cutscenes like at face value for just how gorgeous they are or if you want you can really dive into it like you did dave and and you get a whole nother experience out of the game um yeah i think it's really cool that they kind of give you that option um yeah i was gonna say too um i didn't dive into the lore at all but having when you beat it and you get the option to do new game plus i went ahead and did it um just so i could go through and crush that first boss that kills you at the very beginning of the game Pre-sentinel? um no before that the very first thing that kills you and um godric soldier um <laughs> i'm joking it's I'm a joking. spider thing i don't know. i know i know i know exactly what you're talking about it's grafted scion there you go but uh <laughs> God what I'll say, 
the new game plus um getting to watch that intro again was pretty cool because i actually understood what they were referencing versus the first time i played the game i had no fucking clue it's just like they just start rattling off all these names and showing all this imagery and it actually kind of made sense when i was seeing it after having gone through it all it's like realizing it's like oh these are all the uh warlords or whatnot that you know or like you had mentioned before dave when we were talking about radon and um actually that fight when he's facing off with millennia and it's like clearly you know she's framed to be like the good guy in that one and then you realize it's like oh no actually it was completely reversed he was the one trying to save his land and she's coming spreading pestilence everywhere so like all that stuff kind of started to make more sense it was kind of neat so um you know, it's cool that it's out there. I agree with Jack. It's kind of a cool experience to have that kind of a scale and be able to completely opt out of having to sit through dialogue if you want and just focus purely on the action element. Um, uh, it would be kind of a weird question to drop, but I, uh, I don't want to say weird because, you know, we're going to talk about this, but I, I guess I'm ready to talk. Do you feel like this is going to be game of the year? For for me personally or just in general, like game of the year awards? Well, I feel like it's it's going to be nominated, but, you know. Game of the year for the awards? Yeah, I, I think it'll be game of the year. Uh, I'll be really impressed if somebody – can come out with something that rivals it. I just um, God of War too. I mean, Dark Horse contender. I think I just don't see them doing anything creative enough as a sequel. I think I think it'll be more like a, a building upon what they already what what in their own right was an amazing game. But I don't think they're going to do something really new with that. I think it's going to be more what it was which just isn't as I'm sure we'll all enjoy the hell out of that game. I just don't see it kind of impressing the critics or myself for that matter enough. Um, but who knows? I mean, we got six months left. There's, you know, there's still surprises that are going to drop out there um, that, that could, you know, take, that could, that could really turn into something. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned earlier on, like, I think this is a no-brainer for Game of the Year in terms of, you know, winning the Critics Awards, just because, again, everybody's experience is so vastly different. You know, I was talking to a coworker the other day who's playing the game, and he was telling me he spent, like, one night just with a buddy invading each other, putting on the giant fat suit armor, and just taking turns punching each other and seeing who died first, like, there's so much made different ways to experience this game that it's, I mean, that is a unique experience. And those are the games that should be acknowledged as best of the year. Do I think God of War has two has potential? Absolutely. I mean, I thought the first one was a masterpiece, but I kind of side with you, Jack. I think if the closest it's going to be is maybe an experience on par with like the last of us two, where you're so moved by the story that it sticks with you, but that's really the only shot I see of it having, a chance to maybe one up this one yeah it's it's possible i'm not saying i'm not writing them off i just um the tall order no but, I, I i agree though I, I in their case why would you change much you know it's and that's always the difficulty and whereas this kind of made took a, a very complex 
very beloved system by niche players and made it accessible to all. And in doing that, it has opened up to such a wider range of people. And those are the games I think that really do get acknowledged too for awards. Well, and I'll do it again. Um, five years back, Breath of the Wild came out and just took everybody by storm. Critical darling. And I think especially in, in like the hardcore community of, of critics and just gamers who really want to experience something there, they're kind of hoping that that was going to be the change that we moved into this open world that feels more like a, a living, breathing, like everything's connected um, that Breath of the Wild pulled off and nobody could, nobody did it until this one finally did. And not only that, but it's at once while it has that feeling, it's undeniably its own game. It's undeniably a from software game. And you combine those two things and it's, it's tough to beat. Uh, I I would bet a lot right now that this is going to be the game of the year. And I think Matt brings up a good point. Um, you can do a lot with it. Jack and I had a great time drunkenly playing each other's builds. You know, he goes, hey, let's fight each other, but let's switch controllers, you know? So <laughs> my, my, you know, breakdown of how to handle my character was, okay, up on a D-pad, left on a D-pad, R2, now quick switch over here and hit L2 and then R2. And Jack's like, all right, all right, all right. You know, and then Jack goes, just just hit L2. <laughs> <laughs> so well, so I, I was in your wizard body and I was like, I'm just going to play him real conservative. We'll wait for my moment to strike. All right, all right. <laughs> you hit L2 and I was dead. <laughs> yeah. Granted, you were about 40 levels underpowered at that point and – I kept telling you, you got to put more, more into vitality. Over I was like, you got to put more. In. Like, no, no, no. It's a magic build. I'm like, yeah, but you got to survive one. Hit. <laughs> yeah, I started pumping in at that point. I started seeing the wisdom and putting in some vigor. Um, so that was a fun experience. And then, you know, another fun experience was goading invaders in. There's an item that, you know, pretty much like is fish bait, you know, so... Jack and I would set up with our mimic veil and summon someone in and they'd kind of look around and try to see <laughs> what was going on. You know, uh, some people in some areas know exactly what they're looking for. In some areas, it's pretty hard to tell what you're looking for because a bush against a tree, you're not going to really notice a bush. You'll notice a statue sitting somewhere, but a bush against a tree, is, it's pretty hard to know if that's, you know, anything or something so early on at least people started to figure it out pretty pretty quickly but one of my favorite stories was listening to um when you and matt were were running around together trying to kill one of those trees and everything just went to hell and in the best possible way yeah i mean those experiences definitely i mean radon like i said playing it with dave made that fight for me um because otherwise i love the spectacle of it the fight was like ho-hum for me a bit, but playing it with Dave made it like a million times more engaging because it was just so fun, like having to like pace yourselves. And then I kept getting clipped by the stupid arrows at the beginning. <laughs> Felt like a schmuck. Cause then, I'm like, Dave, Dave, trust, trust me. I don't suck at this game. <laughs> you know, 
and getting those experiences too with strangers online is is always a delight you know when you summon in somebody and then you feel that judgment of somebody online that for the rest of time will be like god that guy sucks at elden ring so um you know it's it was a delight going through and through um i wanted to ask you gentlemen what were your favorite bosses dave you've been very vocal about radon was that your favorite boss from all the ones you experienced throughout the game yeah radon favorite boss fight one of my favorite bosses period i do gotta say though and i said this earlier in the cast ranala's stage to me was the one that really kind of just impressed me the most super simple flat you got a moon and you got another half moon in the reflection that's you know being disrupted by the battle you know you got this you know queen and it's not even her because it's ronnie actually summoning a spirit that mimics like ranala at her peak powers you know so it, it, it's just it's a cool fight but radan's by far is my favorite there's there's this whole spectacle before the fight you know there's this whole announcement you're here to slay a former hero and an honorable person you know and you're there to complete a blood oath pack to put him down you know at the hands of honor and it's just so much fun you know he jumps up in the sky comes back down you know he's just sitting on this tiny little horse that looks like it should be dead by now so um yeah Redan's still my favorite uh I really liked Zangief that was a great fight um Malekith uh took me about four or five times to go through but that to me I was kind of kind of like super impressed by the character design, but also just how he had just this crazy ass style about him. You know, it, it was pretty cool. So I guess I would say those are the ones that really kind of stood out to me the most. I think there's around a hundred bosses that I fought, something like that. And, and a lot of those were clones of each other with just slightly different modifications. But as far as visually, they were all just really cool. Um, so impressive and, and the scope and scale and creativity and just creating like so many of them, so many of them were either based on like real animals, but just like corrupted versions or spiritual versions. Mm, you, you guys mentioned a steel uh, later. I think it was a steel. Um, so. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, that visually that was the most impressive for me. But Mog the Old Blood, I that rivaled any um, any from software fight that I've had, and, and you know, it it really did. It felt like just I get this amazing feeling when games like Hollow Knight, um, you know, Cuphead, Sekiro, where you're just memorizing this pattern and you feel yourself in the moment getting better and better. And it, it just builds upon itself and your adrenaline's going the whole time when you start to get good. And, um, and so that was my favorite fight. I mean, it took me, I, I was still using like a really underpowered build at that point. And I probably spent over two hours just duking it out with that guy. But the whole time I felt like I was getting better. I was like, I'm, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it, it took me a while, but I just, I love that process. And, the hitboxes felt so fair with him. Um, even his insane attacks, once you experience them enough times, you, you just felt like it was right. It felt, it felt like a single person fight. 
That was uh, by far my favorite boss. In a lot of ways, it was one of the only bosses I truly enjoyed fighting. Like I said, I love the spectacle of Radon, and I love the way you have to fight him with all the heroes charging in and everything. But the actual fight itself, like, didn't really do a ton. Um, but the Mog one, like, actually felt like fully engaged. It felt fair through and through. Like, fair. Again, that's, that's such an important word because uh, it's it's something that they really kind of missed a lot in this. Yeah, because that was always my issue with some of these boss fights where you would just get clipped and seemingly out of nowhere. And again, I think a lot of that is to compensate for accounting for all the different ways you can play this game. So they had to make kind of wider areas of attack and certain attacks are just really janky because they kind of pinpoint at the last second who they're targeting. Um, in comparison, like actually the one of the hardest pauses I fought was the Bell Bearing Hunter. Um, he wrecked me and he's really not terribly difficult when you think about it, but it was just practically impossible for me to get that timing down just because it's so awkward and so clanky and just like in comparison to Mog, it's some of it is that speed that I need to really be fully immersed. I think in these types of fights, like, um, you know, that's where when typically when I really enjoy like a boss fight, it has to be kind of a twitchier experience you know that uh, akin to more of a hades versus this so much of it is just like it's really when you watch somebody who's good at it it doesn't look all that hard because a lot of it is just waiting for the right moment to roll it's just i have a hard time when they're so slow with their windup and so deliberate that i inevitably almost always run right into it yeah, the change up. There are so many change ups in this game where you feel like it looks like the exact same motion as the quick attack. And then all of a sudden it's like you roll and you like roll directly head first into a blade. It's like, ah. <laughs> Precisely. Um, you know, I, my experience too with Godric was probably very comparable to Dave's with Radon because Dave, you farmed Radon quite a bit. I recall you were telling me in terms of fighting him with other people. About 55 to 60 fights that that's incredible I, I was a one and done with that once i was complete but but um how many times i died to mog <laughs> but uh what i'll say though is like i think your experience with him was similar to mine with godric where i got you know because we all played this game right at launch that was a unique experience with me for a FromSoft title where everybody was kind of new you didn't have those ship buckets who had already run through and had every item in the game and Basically, when you summon them in, they just go directly to where you need to go and free up everything, kill everything in one hit for you. So everyone was kind of low underpowered. Everybody was still learning the patterns. There wasn't anything on posts online. And it was really cool because, you know, fighting him with other people online was this awesome experience of seeing people who didn't know what they were doing, who just picked up his title because it had all this hype and you're charging in and it's chaotic and it's big and it's grand and you know, and similar with Radon, I think by the time you were farming him, Dave, was around the time where a large portion of the player base was struggling with him because they had all, you know, gotten to him at that point. Anybody who had picked up the title roughly around that same period of time. So I imagine your experiences was all over the place. Some people really suck. Some people are awesome. And each time it's a totally unique, different experience versus as I, you know, towards the end, the few times I played with people online in the home stretch, it was everybody was so overpowered. It was not even worth summoning in at people because it took away a lot of the fun. 
but getting to experience it earlier on was a new and unique experience and pretty damn cool. Um, man, I got to ask, you know, you, you both would, how cool was it when I dropped that comet, you know, and it would shake up a boss. I mean, I only got to see it once and that's with Jack having recorded it against Zangief, but I mean, I imagine it just kind of, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, that's pretty sick because, you know, you, you guys are both building katanas. And to be honest, like power stance and katanas, melee builds, I, I love that part of combat. And I do want to go through this game with a build similar to that. But, you know, it was, it was so much fun being able to whip that thing out. And for it to be effective, made it even so much more fun. As much as I want to make fun of your hubris, right now dave uh it was it was pretty damn impressive especially because a couple times like i think my favorite moment was that fight we recorded where i i thought we lost like i was like i have no potions left i'm getting my ass kicked this guy still got 40 percent his health left in the hard stage of the fight and all of a sudden you just drop it on him from behind and i'm like running around like desperately trying to take a healing potion which i don't have and like wait a minute his he's gonna die (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that was kind of like, it was kind of like, you know, the Superman drops out of the sky moment where, you know, all of a sudden what seemed lost was all of a sudden just, yeah. And then my other favorite moment with it was when I, when I spent like five minutes uh, talking up how difficult the uh, horse uh, boss was to get into um, the capital, And you, you just like, not even sneakily, just sneak around behind the dude and blast him with and take like 70% of his health left. What the fuck? Like I died to that guy like 50 times. Yeah, that was my experience with Radon playing with Dave because previous to that, I played him solo and it's just me on a horse frantically like slashing him and racing around and picking up new things. And it's this like half an hour excursion only to get killed the last second. And then with, playing with Dave, it's like, all right, just run around a circle and roll a whole bunch. And all of a sudden, I just see these chunks of the life just disappear. I'm like, okay, that's pretty sick. Because I sure as hell can't do that with my build. Uh, having farmed with Dan as much as I did, I did come across one instance where another player basically had a near identical build as mine. So there was a point where we had like two common Azures on Redan, like one on one side and me on the other side. And we're both like, um, it, Avengers yeah. assemble. <laughs> that, that build is so much fun. And it really allowed me to get so deep into the character because I felt, I felt like I was like, I'm wearing the, the robes of these headmasters that, that got kicked out of the school because they're trying to tap into some, primordial energy source from the stars and they keep fucking with it and it's not a good thing and they get kicked out for it and here i am i'm wearing his robes and i got his head that's like calcified with glintstone because they got too deep into it and it's like strapped onto my head and you know it's just it to me it was so cool i was just like man i feel like this like crazy wizard that's going around you know as long as there's no sharp corners like i'm a force to be reckoned with you know but if something gets a jump on me i'm instantly dead so uh playing the game with you guys uh having played it i think more with jack once you guys started running that rivers of blood it was such a big help (laughs) like that that's when the game got into easy mode and I think it was the most striking when we Jack and I would get invaded, 
especially near the end, because I was pretty much like loaded up on skills with a near max um, with a near max weapon, and you know I would do my thing, but then Jack would come up and be like, <laughs> you know, and I would be doing my thing, and this thing would get melted. So um, I felt like you know playing the game with friends, you know, especially ones that you know pretty well are into like. You know, just made it an easy game to play, and the difficulty got harder when I was going about it solo. And so, I don't know. That that was just one perspective I noticed, I guess, while we're all chatting it up. So, yeah. Quick question for Matt. Um, looking forward to a sequel, Elden Ring, Sekiro, or neither? Sekiro. I think. Elden Ring is uh, a sequel. I'm curious to see what they do. I'm curious if it's going to be actually more in line of like an MLRPG, to be honest, because I keep hearing modding communities keep like making it so you can play with people online throughout the whole experience. So um, wait and see. Um, to me personally, my favorite part of FromSoft games is the bosses. You know, I've said before, if they just made a game that was nothing but a pure boss rush, like I would be in heaven because those are the coolest parts to me. Did the, uh, I think they did the mod for Sekiro. That was like the update that you could just do a boss rush mode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, my impression, I, I'm pretty sure Sekiro maintains the throne for you for, for your favorite. And I actually, uh, Elden Ring is my favorite from software game, but I would rather have a Sekiro sequel just because I just don't think you could emulate this open world experience and how fresh it felt. But there's something just about a damn good constructed boss fight that I would love to have more of. Um, but I, you know, the thing is, they haven't done a DLC for either of them. And I'm wondering if at some point one of those DLCs will hit. Um, that's pretty you bring up a great point though too because if in hindsight when i look at i probably had more fun playing elden ring than i did playing Sekiro. i think i liked Sekiro more originally because there's a proper way to play that game which is something i've always struggled with with from soft games because it's all over the place but elden ring is the first time i actually learned how to play a from soft game properly that's you know a soulsborne game i should say um, in the sense that rather than my default, which, you know, I've mentioned numerous times, my default is usually build a balanced character and that doesn't benefit you at all in this game. Like you need no. to just pick and streamline and focus. So um, having done that for the first time in all of my Soulsborne experience, um, I, the, I enjoyed the hell out of it. And that was very much how I felt with Sekiro was at least with that one, I know exactly what I need to do. Like it's, it's roll and slash and that's pretty much it. And occasionally you use one of the special weapons. Oh, yeah, exactly. Security counter. That, that thing was, Oh man. Ah, one of these days we're going to get David to at least give that game a shot. <laughs> but yeah, it, to me, the bosses and because of that Sekiro, <laughs> I would much rather see a sequel for, but, but I'll play an Elden Ring sequel for certain. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, DLC is lined up. Um, you know, there's a part of the map that's not exposed that I guess is pretty, pretty much pretty close to being done. So, um, oh, really? I didn't realize that had been confirmed. Okay, interesting. I mean, 
I, I guess I'm talking out my ass when I say that, but I mean, it just seems like the logical thing is that that part of the map is going to become something. What it's going to be, people are speculating it's going to be Migula, like he's going to be a boss fight. Um, but who knows with these guys, you know, it could be a PVP arena for all we know. So, um, yeah, no, uh, this game is exciting. I don't, I don't know if there's going to be a sequel. I don't know how there can be a sequel. I don't know how there can't be. It made so much damn money. There's, there's well, no way there's not going to be a sequel. This is a GTA where they can just throw it online and make hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of 10 years. Like the only way they're going to make a lot more money is to come out with Elden Ring 2. Yeah. And on top of that, you know, again, it's an area of gaming that we don't really know much about, let alone pay attention to, but the streaming community uh, got, you know, hours upon hours of endless content seemingly out of this experience, just because again, it, it lends itself so well to it. It's such a unique open amazing experience and also it is tough <laughs> like it's maybe not as difficult as some previous from soft games but it's definitely you can't just play it casual you have to actually be kind of focused and know what you're doing until you level up to a certain point and get certain weapons but um sorry getting blown up with stuff on the side but ah, a new job. Don't got to <laughs> calling me. <laughs> so, um, oh no, I, I feel like uh, we touched base on a lot. I mean, we probably could keep touching base, but um, is there anything anyone wants to bring up that you think we missed? Yeah, well, I just say if you want to hear us talk about it more, there's some fun podcasts we've done previously and so look those up um we were all kind of in the thick of things when we recorded those so uh yeah you'll also probably hear us say a lot of the same things because after three months i don't remember what the hell i said then <laughs> um does anyone want to you know try giving it a score i mean i think it's a 96 at metacritic right now Oh, that, that, like 96 was your score. I was like, damn, yeah. Dave, you really did spend some time thinking about that. Uh, for me, it's a 10, hands down. Uh, it's not flawless by any means. It's not a perfect game. There's a lot of things I really freaking hate about it. But um, the bottom line is what they did, they did, uh, what, they, what they did right is, is amazing. And um, I just so rarely have these experiences. You know, it's like once, once every couple of years, you have a game like this that really just blows your mind yeah it, it's a 10 like i said i think it's game of the year easily um you know with the only possible contender being that god of war 2 again and uh i still lean to this one because it was such a unique great experience but you're absolutely right jack it's not a perfect game in fact I've, there's many areas of frustration i have about it but they're overshadowed by the amazing parts of this game so um it, they're not worth nitpicking and that's comes with the territory when you do a grand scale game of this nature versus a more focused story driven endeavor so um you take the good with the bad and yeah it lived up to all the hype and then some as far as i'm concerned yeah 10 out of 10 i think uh it's got some just amazing gameplay like amazing set design the artwork design on it's 
just blows my mind every time I look at stuff. Um, I'm infatuated with the lore. There's other branches of it I still want to explore, and I'm hoping to do a new game plus because I want you know be able to power stance some crazy big weapons at some point in my build you know, of this game and just run around and just chop stuff down. So well, you've got frenzied flame ending to go through, and that's I mean it's a lot of fun. So yeah, definitely want to check that uh, check that out. So um, yeah, that's all tens from us you know this is the first game where we're kind of like hey let's play this you know and let's try to play it together for the most part not necessarily with each other um jack took it to a whole new level whereas uh matt and i got slowed down a little bit by life um but you know to all of you maidenless tarnished out there listening uh thanks for checking in with us on elden ring and we all wish you a good night mm-hmm.